Hey everyone, welcome to Wire Talks, the Wire podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether, whether you're a crypto veteran or a crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Correa, we work here at Wire, playing my favorite game today, how many Australians can you fit in one room? So I'm joined by Louis Abood. Welcome. Thank you. And Mike Dunworth, welcome. Thank you. Cheers, cheers. Uh, well, first of all, happy holidays to all of our listeners. We're actually recording this episode right before we head out for the holidays, Thought it'd be most useful for us to kind of cover uh, what we saw in crypto this year and share our predictions and outlook sort of for next year. So please hunt us down in 2019 at the end when when we're blatantly wrong on everything. <laughs> Either way, uh, well, since our core business, uh, as some of our listeners may know, is really an infrastructure level API play that touches really every vertical in crypto. So whether it's institutional trading to DeFi to CryptoKitties, uh, we really get to do it all. Uh, it's really an interesting seat to observe what is happening in the industry. Um, so I, I think uh, hopefully our listeners get some value from uh, what we're about to talk about. Certainly, it's been an eventful year. Without a doubt, uh, we have so many topics to cover. Uh, but generally, I think we're going to stick to what's going on in Ethereum and, and Bitcoin really on the product side rather than the price side. Uh, for the market-related stuff, uh, we can start off with that. I think it's really quite succinct uh, what happened in 2018. There was a crypto retail bubble. It popped. Retail uh, retail investors exited the market. Institutions uh, have been talking about coming into the space, but they really haven't entered the space with a couple of exceptions like uh, uh, Intercontinental Exchange, also known as ICE, or many of the Chicago prop shops that have uh, I've been looking at profitable strategies in the uh, spot markets, I should say. Um, the ETF is still not approved, uh, but we're expecting things to kind of go, uh, um, I don't want to say sideways, but more of the same really in the markets next year. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't I expand the discussion out to my colleagues here? Uh, did I miss anything that happened really in, in 2018 on the market side? And, if, and what would that be? And... Uh, in 2019, what do you think will happen? Yeah, I um, well, I think the the uh, the bullish thesis, kind of, kind of back end of 2017, was definitely that, uh, as Mike Novogratz would say, the herd is coming, and there was going to be a lot of uh, incremental buyers, kind of in the institutional space, be they, you know, your kind of pension funds and endowments starting to allocate, or hedge funds starting to do different things in the market. Um, I think it's fair to say that not a lot has happened. Uh, we've had a couple of examples. Um, What's the best example, would you say? I, I would say that f- in terms of incremental investors, in terms of the profile of investors that are looking at the space, uh, we had the Yale Endowment yep. and I think Harvard mm. allocate to uh, Andreessen Horowitz Crypto and Paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only example that I know of. There might be a few other non-public smaller examples uh but not a lot of noise not a lot of action in that space um obviously we had uh, a few different exchange businesses or financial services companies saying that they're going to create new products to serve their kind of traditional institutional customer base none of those have launched yet um and you know, I think it's going to be a slow burn for those to begin with. Um, I don't think you're going to see a massive influx of new funds uh, starting to trade those kind of products. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it'll probably more likely be 
uh, as you said, the prop shops or the crypto native funds um, starting to use those venues. I don't know if you have a different view, Mike. Uh, same, same. Uh, for the most part, firstly, um, yeah, I think like the native crypto funds, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, I think the just like people in general are there's no carrot now mm. to jump in. Like the carrot was there when BitMEX was making 5 million revenue a day. In terms of trading venues, not new investors, right? Ah, uh, in terms of trading. Well, I mean, so when I was thinking of trading venues, when you mentioned that, I was thinking the carrot to absorb some of that opportunity yeah. is just sort of long gone. Like, I mean, trade desks from JP Morgan, Barclays, Goldman and Fidelity, yeah. that was happening like, yesterday when they were watching three to five million revenue being printed on these exchanges now that's cooled off the carrots gotten smaller and they've got more you know better fish to fry but they'll be quicker to the punch the next time the herd comes yeah they've all got volatility in traditional markets now to deal with so they're not bored anymore yeah you don't have to you don't have to come to crypto for action (laughs) that's right um i think the institutions that um also can i just add to the institutional narrative I think that is garbage for the most part. I think it doesn't matter how big, how small, whatever it is. I, I'm really, I thought, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. It's not, there's not a golden sort of moment that will unlock this big tidal wave. Um, there might be a, oh, like, I'll tell you what that golden moment is. It's genuine utility and adoption. No. Yeah. <laughs> we have that in crypto yet? <laughs> I, I is that possible? I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, you know, most people think, ah, institutions are coming, institutions are coming, great. Oh, what are they waiting on? Ah, oh, there's custody. Mm. Custody was this big circle jerk word that was sort of responsible for why we're not at $200,000 per Bitcoin because there was no custody. Um, I think there's five zillion custody solutions out there. Some of them are brand though. I mean, I've, I've yeah. some sympathy for this, for this argument. Uh, but it's more of a, if you're a, a fund investigating this space for the mm-hmm. first time, you're going to say, okay, who are the service providers? Uh, you know, what regulatory framework do they fall under? Do I know them? And if the, if none of the answers to these questions are satisfactory, you're just not going to bother. So yep. I, I understand it as like a first step. You mm. at least need to know who you're going to deal with if you're going to trade these products, where the assets are going to be kept and like the parameters around that. Yep. Uh, and if you can't get comfortable on that, it is a non-starter. And it's the same for some of these long-only funds giving money to crypto funds, right? Yeah. It's like if their solutions aren't up to scratch, then they're not going to bother. Yeah. Uh, and, and But yeah. that's what, like, so, so for instance, this year we'll see a public, like an available fidelity asset yeah. like a custody solution goldman will have a yep. custody solution yeah let me summarize it it's a necessary but not a sufficient requirement yes yep. it is uh, yeah exactly absolutely it's part of the building blocks it'll help people get their feet wet it'll act as predominantly an education tool for mm. when the ball does drop everyone does pour in yeah um we need it but it's not going to trigger anything yeah it's yeah. not the trigger yeah. thing from from what i um from what I understand and kind of glean from the institutional space, there's these there are these firms like the Fidelities, the the Goldman's, the uh, Intercontinental Exchanges that are pregnant with this narrative. They've already sort of committed <laughs> to Brilliant. it during the uh, the bull run, and then sort of after through the bearish uh, slide, 
And then now, you know, they do have personnel and kind of mm. are tinkering away at the problem. I don't anticipate more institutions joining that uh, cohort in this sort of market environment and market conditions. But perhaps by the time we have another bull run, maybe it's in 2020, uh, these institutions have matured and, and developed those solutions to a place where they could be leading that, uh, leading the charge uh, for institutions when that bull run does happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of of the view that there aren't enough uh, compelling, solid reasons for incremental buys from the institutional space to start participating at this point. I think mm. some of those things might begin to become clear at the back end of 2019. But for the most part, I reckon the in the incremental interest will come with the price action, right? Mm -hmm. When the market does start to pick up, be it just new retail money coming in, just classic crypto cycles, then the opportunistic... 100x in one yeah, month for well, no reason. Exactly. Classic crypto yeah. cycles. <laughs> the, the opportunistic you know, fund managers of the traditional world are going to say, well, you know, this infrastructure is in place now. I can dip my toe in. Mm -hmm. Why not? Um, I think you'll see a bit of that. It means the bull runs get bullier. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to kind of more juicy developments in the space. If you ask me, I think what um, was really successful in 2018 was the Ethereum ecosystem sort of maturing and you're seeing these like financial primitives, these building blocks uh, for a new financial uh, uh, ecosystem or system to uh, live on top uh, uh, in, on, in the decentralized world. Uh, especially if you ask me uh, what, what 2018 was all about, it was the year of stable coins uh, going to market. Um, what do you guys kind of think about uh, the stable coins that have launched uh, this year? They come in obviously uh, well, the ones that have launched come in really two unique flavors, right? Yeah. It's the IOU tokenized US dollar types like USDC or uh, true USD. I guess Tether was really the forefather of yep. uh, that concept. Mm. Uh, then there are the collateral backed stable coins like Maker, and uh, we can dive yep. into that. Uh, the third segment, uh, I can't really say that they came to market, but they were really just in the ideation phase. Uh, algo banks. The yeah. algo banks, like Central the basis banks, yeah. and, and the havens. Um, how, how do you think, um, how do you think this is going to play out uh, next year? Uh, I, th I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be huge in, in the sense of, we're going to see stable coins go from a dollar to dollar fifty. Uh, <laughs> no. But I mean, it's going to be massive. Here's the here's the reason. Firstly, every single company that has a database of or brokerage service, and I don't or is a is a brokerage service in a sense of they've got customer balances on hand. They're going to make those ERC twenty most likely ERC twenty compatible. Um, so you'll probably see every man and their dog becoming a, an IOU stablecoin. We've already seen like a whiff of it with like Gemini, Paxos, and USDC. There's going to be geographical coverage expansion, so probably Euros probably going to be first up. Um, and then you've got tools like, I mean, uh, Stellar. They're making effectively like stablecoin in a box. Um, that's Stellar's going to saturate the market, as is the ERC twenty stuff. Um, and I think that's going to become a massive flavor and everyone's going to earn a lot of money on the assets under management. Yeah. The biggest winner in all of that is going to be the whole ecosystem because that is dividing and conquering the education process and onboarding someone to being 
ERC20 or crypto compatible as yeah. a wallet. Essentially. And it also reduces just the, you know, we're in a situation where uh, it's probably still the case just based on the relative size of these different coins. The ecosystem was heavily reliant on Tether um, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which was really like not ideal. That was like a significant systemic risk uh, because really Tether was the thing that kept prices in line between exchanges and was the main kind of way of people getting risk off without touching the fiat system. Uh, and now that risk has just been diversified so significantly. Um, I'd say the market's already saturated on the fiat-backed stablecoin side. Yeah. You've got USDC, Paxos, TrueUSD, Tether. Uh, there's a f- probably a few others, Gemini. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think you'll see like five to 10 really massive ones. I think probably like two or three will get to significant scale just because of the issue of liquidity and like market fragmentation. Um, In the end, exchanges are going to want to have like maybe like one or two relatively liquid markets. They're not going to want to have all these random disjointed markets. Um, And you sort of see that now with like Binance and Huobi or who who are the ones? I think it's HBUS and Binance that are, Mm -hmm. they're making it into just a big, basket of iou tokens yeah that i'm yeah i'm not so sure about that that strategy um because i don't think they're fungible right they're all pretty significantly different um when you think one tether one usdc seems the same (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i think generally um you guys are totally right about this uh we're going to see the the iou stable coins that have kind of better credibility steal market share away from tether uh, in 2019, so a continuation of really the trend that's started in 2018. Um, I am a pretty huge fan of the IOU tokenized uh, coins uh, because from a UX standpoint, they're very easy to understand. It's not it's not like, you know, I know we're all huge fans of Maker, and I, and we, I truly believe that Maker is going to be the big winner uh, in this market, but for getting the next, like, 10 million, 100 million users into the ecosystem, they're just really easy on-ramps and very easy to understand like what's exactly happening in in the background here. All that's happening is the dollar that you're wiring into, you know, trust tokens, bank account, or whoever's behind that, uh, whoever is banking them. Uh, And it becomes tokenized on the blockchain Mm. via smart contract. It's simple, but the counter to that is what's the point, right? It's like if you're... introducing this concept to a new crypto user it's like well yeah there's you get this token and it represents money to bank account it's like well i have a bank account you know it's Uh, like but if you're uh, but let's say you're a trader mm. and you're on one exchange and it's like oh indeed i'm not saying it's not useful but it is contrary to kind of the point of what we're trying to be doing here yeah Um, i'd like to see them succeed to a certain extent um i think it would be uh, I'd be slightly miffed if the ecosystem of a, as a whole took a major pivot towards, you know, this kind of uh, asset-backed, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily tokenized securities, but basically foregoing the the digital bearer asset for this new model and trying to find it's- some economic and technological utility there. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, overall, it's against the spirit of decentralization. So mm. I, we hope these things don't, uh, you know, succeed in the long, long run. Yeah. Uh, but just, ho- just long enough like for little... them to become good collateral for die. 
<laughs> that, yeah, I was literally about to say that. I think um, 2019, I'm, I'm, well, th this should come as no surprise that uh, when multi-collateral DAI uh, does pop up or multi-collateral CDPs, um, we're going to see a lot of these IOU tokenized uh, stable coins uh, become collateral on, on the maker platform. Yeah, and possibly. Yeah, quite maybe possibly. not, because <laughs> yeah. remember the MakerDAO, like the truly like decentralized nature of Dai, you've now introducing a collateral form that is plausible, mm. which which adds this kind of question mark or this curveball, which I think that'll be really interesting to see how like MakerDAO's governance token and like asset asset uh, risk framework holds up against like do you do it to capture a ton of market share or do you hold true to the ground roots of like, no, this is a decentralized stable. Yeah. Um, the, the beauty of the current situation, I'm not sure how long this persists for, but it, it is that there are so many individual fiat-backed stable coins that you can back a lot of them into a CDP and still have relatively diversified counterparty risk. Yep. Uh, whether or not that persists in terms of how fragmented the fiat-backed stable coin market is, I'm not sure, but you've also gonna you're also gonna have like the digixes and like the gold back stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, there, I reckon, you know, it'll be up to us as MKR holders, Mike, uh, to decide yep. on these things, and uh, I'll be inclined to allocate a relatively small limit to individual assets that have uh, counterparty risk. Yeah, but. It's great to bake them in because, you know, they're uncorrelated. They're the perfect form of collateral for this kind of system. Yep. Well, I'll tell you one thing. 2018 was definitely the year of Maker uh, kind of crushing it and their go-to-market strategy really coming to fruition, right? It's been, uh, I believe, uh, under under 12 months or today's actually the exact date, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, you were telling me this earlier uh, that Daya has been live uh, for, for exactly a year now, 12 months total. Happy birthday, Daya. Happy birthday. Yeah. Spent most of the year at a dollar. Congratulations. Good job. That's right. Yeah. What a perfect year to launch, right? I know. It's Everything <laughs> shitting the bed by 90% is probably a good time to launch uh, to test a stable coin. Yeah. Well, also rising to uh, 1,400 as well. I think it mm. captured that segment. So that, that, mm. was, that was also cool. Um, so Maker's been absolutely uh, crushing it, maintaining their peg. Uh, over 2,600 CDPs uh, uh, have been fully funded and I, I think are live right now. And uh, in terms of loaned uh, principal, they're doing like about 30 uh, to 50 million a week, right? Die transfers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, pull, I'll um, pull it up. I'll pull up some stats. Yeah, in the you guys so keep chewing through this. I think there's like a 55 million die on issue, which probably means there's around uh, 100 100 to 130 million of collateral, maybe mm -hmm. more. I don't know how. Uh, they're probably heavily collateralized now just because we've just bounced a solid percentage, uh, like the ETH market. Um, but yeah, the accumulated capital that's been thrown into CDPs this year would be absolutely in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. Um, how do you think, what do you think is next for uh, Maker in, in 2019? Oh, it's, it's going to be extremely exciting for them. Um, die. Well, yeah, like... Uh, Ronald McDonald. Full disclosure, uh, we're all MKR holders here. We're all massive supporters uh, of them and we're partners of theirs. Um, they're going to launch multi-collateral die um, in Q1. 
this is a very exciting development if you know how the die make it out system works. Um, basically, the, all the die is backed with an excess of collateral. Uh, having one form of collateral, i.e. ETH, is not ideal because it's extremely volatile. And that means you have to manage the asset backing of DAI quite heavily as a CDP holder. Ideally, DAI is backed by a diversified range of collateral, which is less correlated. Uh, and that means that uh, the value of the asset backing is more stable. Um, the good thing about Ethereum is that, there, as, as we've been talking about, there are a whole bunch of asset-backed assets on Ethereum that should be uncorrelated to your kind of utility tokens and things like that. Um, so that'll be a big development. It'll also mean that they can massively grow the amount of DAI on issue because they've effectively had a cap of 100 million. They haven't wanted it to grow too quickly uh, under the current system. Moving to multi-collateral DAI means that they can go into the billions, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that just totally changes the game because it means that DAI can have sufficient liquidity to replace Tether and USDC and all these other things. Because that's the thing holding it back at the moment, right? If you've got barely any on issue, you know, they've got a decent amount, 55, 60 million, but it's definitely not enough to fulfill the use case of the fiat-backed stablecoins that exist today. Mm -hmm. What about the... What uh, assets do you reckon we're going to see? Well, I mean, I think you'll see a bit of everything. So you'll see the, the higher quality, let's call them utility tokens. Um, so maybe <laughs> things like... I don't even want to. I was name about to them. say, is there a list yeah. there? Let's or is it? <laughs> okay, let's just say something like rep, as opposed to something like uh, actually probably yeah. I should Dentacoin. Be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Dentacoin. I was going to say ZRX, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, and there'll also be uh, yeah, your asset backed stable coins like USDC, Digix, um, other uh, dollar coins, um, and yeah, uh, I th I think over time. Basically, the more things that hit the Ethereum blockchain, the more things will find their way into uh, MKR CDPs. Um, obviously, there are particular considerations for each, different risks for each. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all about diversification with this one, finding uncorrelated forms of collateral. But that said, you've got two things to consider. Obviously, a billion things to consider, but one of the main things being uncorrelated assets. Obviously, that introduces a bunch of stability, but then you've got to have actually growing assets, essentially, or like large-scale assets if you want to get DAI to, let's say, $10 billion DAI yes. issuance and things yes. like that. So they've got to consider not just all the IOU tokens, which are going to you know, throw on $200, $200 million market caps here and there, but what's something that's going to be massive um, it's a very like good question. Tokenized real you want the answer? What is it? Free answer right here. I think I said it already. Bitcoin. Oh, hey. uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously. The perfect thing for them. Okay, so forget the correlated yeah, was, problematic. Yeah. <laughs> but hear me out. If, if you're MKR, right, the biggest or biggest upside of an asset class that is, you, firstly, you want it digitally native. So tokenizing the Eiffel Tower is probably less ideal, I think. No? <laughs> okay, well, let me just continue this rant. Tokenized, yeah, no, I agree. Digitally yeah. native. Yeah. Um, largely, the incentive's got to be there for the holder. So it's got to be something that I'm not using all the time. So hodlers. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and they get strapped to the rocket ship of 
Bitcoin. So, because if mm. everything is correlated, ETH, Bitcoin, yeah. and stuff like that, it means that if Bitcoin grows massive, then it, 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 yeah, it ensures MK, the MakerDAO system from the thesis that uh, Ether is not going to be worth much. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but should that uh, turn out to be the case, then having access to Bitcoin would be great. How do you do that in a trustless manner? Can you do it in a trustless manner? We've got WBTC. Yeah, it's not well, trustless. Why don't, we, why don't we shift the discussion to wrap Bitcoin at this point? The pros and cons of bringing... Bitcoin in the manner that, you know, BitGo, Kyber, and Republic Protocol uh, jointly uh, created um, versus, you know, other mechanisms of kind of bringing Bitcoin onto uh, the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts generally on WBTC and how do you think it should be, if you believe it's not done right already, mm -hmm. then how do you think it should be done right? My understanding of it, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, is that it's effectively a custodial solution. So it's like, it's IOU, USDC, but, yeah. but for Bitcoin held yeah. by Bitcoin, BitGo instead of Circle, right? Yeah. Uh, so it has counterparty risk uh, and security risk. Um, and that's not ideal, but granted, there's going to be other assets with similar risks in CDPs. So really, the, the, the answer to that is it's fine at a small size. You can't be overexposed yeah. to wrapped Bitcoin in that particular implementation. Mm. I'd be interested, Mike, uh, if you have a view on whether these things can be done in a more trust-minimized way. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's trustless, but I'd say it's trust-minimized. Like, you can do it cryptographically. So, you do something, let's say an atomic swap is going to be able to swap from one chain to another purely, uh, you know, no one has to trust anyone. There's no mm. trusting Bitcoin. I don't think, I mean, I think Bitcoin's great. I have nothing against it. But if I'm trying to find a way to attract the largest possible amount of assets, I'm telling, trying to tell, and like some, firstly, trying to tell some Bitcoin holder to use anything outside of Bitcoin is going to be a hard sell. Yep. Trying to tell them. Especially that, if it's Ethereum. Uh, yeah, right. And then trying <laughs> to tell them that it's all good. It's an IOU. Just trust them. That's going to be an even harder sell. Um, so I think like you'll have you'll probably have a multiple wrap BTCs even uh, if yeah. if it does look good. But I've been pretty vocal about that being a rushed implementation. Mm. Um, but everyone wins if that exists. That's a massive collateral tool. Mm. It's a huge huge win because sixty five percent of the daily traded volume is against BTC. So every dex out there that's trading they're immediately cutting off 65% of the market. Um, that's one thing, but yeah. You, if you didn't answer my question though. What was the question? Trust minimized, how do you do it? Atomic swaps. But in a, the practical realities of putting it in a CDP, which gets liquidated based on an external event and then the person needs to get access to it. Like how does yep. that? Well, it's atomic swaps, but instead of going one-to-one, -one, so I'm not trading Louis to Louis, you're going to say make a has a smart contract where it's stored just like it does with Ethereum and you're going to store in there the wrapped BTC, but whatever the wrapped component is, which for example, on uh, Ethereum at the moment, it's WETH. Mm. WETH is that wrapper. Um, whoever's doing the WETH is going to be doing the, having those one-to-one -one atomic swaps with the individual wrappers yeah. themselves. Sounds like a job for uh, James Preswich and Summer One. 
bang, (laughs) the smartest man in the room when it comes to this shit. That's him, 100%. Some of one. I think I've heard of that project. Are they tackling atomic swap stuff? Oh, they're just, they're like, these guys are so fucking smart. Every time I message James, I just feel like dumber and dumber. And I'm like, (laughs) all right, stay in my lane. I'll just keep here just doodling stick figures on a whiteboard. But no, they're they're a really good bunch of people. um, They're doing like auctions. Yeah, Yeah. they've structured it as auctions. But effectively what it is, it's if you have Bitcoin, you can buy ETH. It's just in an auction format. So every two weeks they run these auctions where it says, put your bids in. Think of it like eBay, except instead of buying shoes with PayPal, you're buying ETH with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It's a very good demonstration Mm -hmm. of cross-chain purchasing, basically. The problem Um, with the traditional atomic swap structure is that it's effectively a free option. The other person has the ability to not engage in the trade if the price doesn't move in their favor. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's not ideal. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay, uh, right before we jumped into uh, Rap Bitcoin, I do want to kind of pedal backwards to our stable coin discussion. Uh, talk about that last set uh, of category of stable coins, which is the seniorage shares model. I think yes. I pronounced that correctly. Um, we saw some action actually just last week uh, with Basis, formerly known as Basecoin, um, shutting down their business and returning capital to investors. Um, I think what they're claiming actually is that the bond and share tokens um, that were part of their model would be classified kind of as securities by the SEC, uh, and this would kind of inhibit uh, permissionless nature of the protocol because they would have to go register these things, and then there would be all sorts of friction, KYC, ML. Uh, They can only market it to like institutions and uh, basically would screw up the whole decentralized nature of the protocol and it would be like traditional central banking all over again. Um, do you think this project was just too ambitious to uh, begin with? Uh, what do you think is going to happen to Carbon and Haven and the other sort of projects in this space? Uh, Haven's slightly different, but yeah, to answer the question, um, was it too ambitious? I, I've always struggled with the model. Um, I think fundamentally, uh, if you take the long view, I don't see how the model could be sustainable. Um, that's not why it failed, though, right? Um, the The question of regulations and like whether the the bond and the shares were securities, I you know from a high level, it kind of seems like they were. Um, whether or not that means it makes no sense to pursue the project. I'm not so sure. I can see a way of basically having a wireless and accredited investors owning the shares and bonds and it all being kind of more centralized and still, you know, I don't see it being any more or less likely to fail because of that one point. It would be less decentralized. And if that's a deal breaker for the team, fair enough. They're set up to do something. And if that's not possible, uh, I actually, you know, totally respect their decision to return capital. I think it was a, the correct decision from an economic point of view. Whether or not the regulatory situation meant that the project was not viable or not, I'm not so sure. I don't think they could be sure. It's just way too hard to know. Um, you know, these questions are extremely complicated. How they'll impact the long-term viability of the project, you, you just can't have a strong view on that. Um, but I think overall they probably made the right call. Um, the 
the whole idea of like the algo stablecoin uh i think is is slightly flawed um you know for instance you could own the shares and short the stablecoin and use the yield of the shares to pay for the interest on the short and it's effectively a free trade in the end it just becomes a battle between the balance sheet of the people that want the stablecoin to succeed uh versus the people that want to crush it um and there are there's a lot of money out there to crush things like this um Mm -hmm. so you know them raising a hundred million dollars to support the system sounds like a lot but really it's peanuts to any hedge fund that has a strong degree of confidence that they can destroy the system um, and they've got 10, 20, 100 times as much money. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say it was a, it was definitely extremely ambitious, uh, um, but fundamentally because the model was something totally novel um, and, you know, untested and had some kind of obvious issues that I wasn't really sure how they'd play out in the long term. Um, my view is that it could have succeeded for a period of time where their balance sheet was sufficient to support it and it was sufficiently small, the market making and all that stuff can be kind of achieved in-house, uh, but eventually you, you outgrow the initial capital that you've raised and everything just becomes a whole lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. May I share my opinion? Yes, please. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think, okay, so all things considered, right? They get the chance. The SEC comes in and says, all right, guys, no good, not happening. All right, cool. That's probably partially the case, but also like the market's just gotten crazy saturated over 12 months in the middle of their go-to-market strategy. And obviously, like any other startup, they've had a million, like, you know, faced with a million and one curveballs at every direction. Yep. If your team, if you are, you know, the founding team or on the engineering team in general, it's probably you get a choice to save your name, return capital. Basically, everyone gets a haircut to an extent, but then also like you got to be motivated. Like if you're investing in them and they're the ones that are going to get it done, I mean, you don't want to be investing in them if they're like, let's just figure something out and zombie off this hundred mil. Uh, Another problem, I yeah, yeah. I was just saying, like, I want to make something really clear. Like I've seen some criticism of theirs uh, against them, you know, on Twitter following this announcement. You know, totally ridiculous in my opinion. What they did actually was actually a massive sacrifice in, you know, in favor of their investors, right? Because their investors are going to get ninety percent of their money back plus, right? Mm. Just because of the amount that was raised, and. If that if the shares had started trading in this market, they would be down eighty percent instantly plus, on right? any listing. The valuation that the the SAFT was sold at was something like eight hundred million dollars, right? MKR trades at two fifty. Those shares are going to trade at like one fifty or less, right? So the investors would have taken a massive bath if that thing ever <laughs> traded, and the fact that they bath, basically really. said, "Well, we're going to return all this capital that we could have otherwise used to pay ourselves to pursue something that we might not have a lot of confidence in. I think that is uh, quite a noble thing that they did um, and that they should be uh, congratulated for that decision. Um, I think they said yeah. a good, that's a good example being said. Like these guys are the ones with all the money in the world and they're giving it back. Man, there's, 
there's fucking tons of teams that have raised zonks of money yeah. zombieing into some pivot. And, and it's blown it all already, right? Already. Some have even waxed yeah. it all. And the ones that haven't waxed it all are still sort of, you know, like so many people could learn a thing or two from yeah. this in the best possible way. I think, you know, crypto net out, nets out, you know, for the better, actually, as this saying, look, it's an unregulated market. Um, it could trigger a lot of other teams to do something similar. But I think actually base, base coins always something that I thought was, or basis, um, I always thought it was something that is, I always sort of t- called it a faith-backed stable coin. Yeah. Well, in a sense. Yeah. But basically, right? It's very much like there's another faith-backed stable coin out there, the US dollar, which is not backed by anything other right. than its reputation for yeah. being able to be redeemed. If you get to enough scale, it can actually so it's sort of like if it teleported to max max scale the hard part is getting there so that have to be subsidizing to get there yeah problem I, is yeah i yeah. disagree fundamentally with the comparison um like the reality is that the us dollar has value for other reasons besides faith right well, why does it have value so without derailing the whole conversation so the government requires you to pay taxes in it so there's a inherent demand to source tax obligations yep um and the biggest reason why fiat currencies have value is because everybody owes debts in fiat currencies and those debts yes. accrue interest so over time you need to source more and more of a currency in order to fulfill your obligations right yep um and that that is the constant driver of demand you know banks create money by lending it out and people have to pay it back plus some where do they get that plus sum? They have to earn it from somewhere. What is it? What do you got to say to that, Mike? Um, thank you, Louis, for, you know what they say, ask or give the wrong answer to share the right answer. What's yes. that thing there? <laughs> Whoever's theory, post the wrong answer on the yeah. internet and you'll get the right answer as fast as possible. Yeah. No, but I mean, so that explains all your tweets. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that explains all my tweets. Um, but no, it, as well, like for their whole execution model, right? So if you have to get to this something like this scale, mm. how are they ever going to get there? Even if like, I mean, other teams have this as well. It's like, oh, we don't want to risk you, list you because like as an exchange, right? We don't want to list you because you're potentially a security and blah, blah, blah. We're not a security. Here's our legal opinion from down the road. Okay, cool. Not worth the risk. There's a million and other things that we could list right now that have more liquidity and stuff. So that totally derails the execution conversation as well for them because you can't get listed anywhere as where if you're an IOU stablecoin, you go out and get listed everywhere almost overnight. It's a pretty easy conversation. So yep. yeah, not to mention the, the bank run potential of just like spiraling out of control if they do get to scale. So. Yeah. Um, let's uh, shift gears to another hot sort of narrative um, in 2018, which is the DeFi narrative, DeFi standing for decentralized finance. Um, I'll kind of give a brief history lesson, uh, if I can, about this narrative. Uh, It really started out as the financial primitive kind of narrative um, that was happening on Ethereum. So people started um, putting together this idea that you can have like a new financial ecosystem or system uh, built on top of Ethereum uh, with you know, different uh, projects pursuing different parts of that uh, financial system stack. So whether it's 
Compound and Dharma doing uh, lending or DYDX and BZX doing derivatives and 0x and all the other DEXs doing trading. You can piece all this together and, uh, you know, basically disrupt like the entire banking system as we know it. So that sort of narrative was evolving in early uh, 2018 as uh, a lot of these projects start to, started to kind of push out product and people started piecing this together. Then um, this notion of open finance uh, kind of uh, bloomed from that, which is the idea that, hey, everything that's built on top of Ethereum is really uh, permissionless and borderless. And, you know, you can sell uh, basically securities to someone in, you know, Vietnam that has an Android phone um, that can't afford like Apple stock right now, but maybe you can securitize it and fractionalize it on Ethereum and, you know, using Xerox and uh, basically sell it to that individual so they can finally have access to instruments, financial instruments that they did not in the past. Now it's fully evolved into this thing called DeFi, which is an initiative really set forth uh, by Dharma, Xerox, and Set, Abacus, so on and so forth. For It's a, it's a community of open finance uh, projects. So I really thought this uh, whole space was like really, really awesome um, for the Ethereum ecosystem in general. It's like what's really been working on Ethereum so far or what's mm. really looking mm. um, uh, like it could have a lot of utility in uh, by 2019, perhaps maybe it's closer to 2020. Um, what do you guys kind of think about this narrative and this ecosystem? Is this all just a giant experiment that's going to be you know, basically screwed over by regulations or other technical issues. Uh, where do you see this going in 2019? Yeah, um, I'm bullish on it as well. Uh, I'd say, yes, it is a massive experiment. Yes, there are a lot of unanswered regulatory questions. Yes, there could be big technical problems. I mean, the thing that scares me the most with this stuff is that, like, we're dealing with immutable smart contracts here. And one bug can do a lot of damage when these systems start to interoperate um, and they're all kind of relying on each other in different ways. I am <coughs> um, like not satisfied with the way that code is audited and whatnot with this kind of these kind of systems. I don't think there's like a good answer to that problem yet. Uh, and at that that is a major issue. Um, but absolutely, like the the financial products on Ethereum make more sense than pretty much any other application. Um, the, the nature of the technology suits financial products uh, because, you know, it's about security and having a trust minimized system. Um, that's a lot more relevant for decentralized finance than it is for like decentralized Twitter. Um, you know, uh, these products have launched and a few of them have some like early adopters kind of testing them out. I haven't seen anything kind of hugely impressive yet outside of MakerDAO. Um, but, you know, it's it's very early days for a lot of these guys. Um, I think the on the kind of lending side, uh, basically getting a yield out of assets that are otherwise doing nothing. Um, that's just such a no-brainer for a lot of the holders out there. Uh, throwing them into Compound and Dharma and whatnot, I think that'll become very popular, especially when it starts to, you know, the, there's a demand side to that equation, like people are borrowing these things to short them, etc. Um, you'll start to see more of a two-sided market uh, around the lending activities, which is really good. Um, on the derivative side, uh, you know, DYDX have a product out 
hope to see market protocol launch theirs in q1 um you know that they introduce a whole lot of interesting pop uh possibilities um they're quite different projects and they enable different things but uh you know being able to have synthetic positions of you know non-crypto assets on the blockchain i think is pretty cool um and you know there are a whole bunch of possibilities related to that but you know at a high level the, the thing that excites me about this space is you're basically going to get this like massive wholesale pool of liquidity and you know uh entrepreneurs are going to be able to tap a kind of commoditized system of capital right it's like i can access capital cheaply through the system um and it's a totally open and global market so i can offer i can create a really nice front end and you know customer experience around delivering a financial service to somebody in some developing country and i don't have to worry about my financing to actually like deliver the product to them because i can tap this rich ecosystem where there's a lot of latent capital that actually doesn't have a lot of other you know things to do right it's not like the banking system where banks are constantly trying to squeeze every cent of deposit of funds to like lend out to other people and like they're always kind of constrained in that sense right they have certain requirements about how much capital they can lend out relative to their deposits and stuff in crypto it's like the opposite problem there's a lot of capital and not much to do with it right so some clever entrepreneurs get really cheap access to wholesale financing effectively through DeFi and deliver financial products at a lower cost um, using this technology and i think that would be a really awesome development um but yeah i think probably 2019 is going to be more of the same because it's too early you're basically going to have you know the, the ethereum community effectively starting to leverage these systems increasingly over more centralized systems um, so there'll be like a bit of shift in market share um, and you know hopefully the, the true leaders in this space uh, such as MakerDAO and Wire maybe doing something together to bring you know die to different commercial use cases um, I think it would be an interesting development. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, general Kane. Yeah, generally, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Louis. That um, you know the space is obviously really interesting. It's going to be one of the first. It is one of the first use cases for Ethereum. Um, I, I do think 2019 is a little too early for uh, DeFi to gain full consumer adoption in the borderless finance sort of um, application. Uh, we'll need to see dApps and entrepreneurs really entrepreneurs that are developing dApps really push those kind of boundaries, right? Start bundling together uh, these uh, uh, protocols and and uh, create their own products on top of them, mm. and then they actually need to go market them in those foreign countries. Work with those regulators, like hey. I'm trying to bring Apple stock to Vietnam and yeah. sell it to, you know. Uh, you know what they say to the regulator in that conversation? Hey, regulator, we're bringing this to Vietnam. FYI. <laughs> oh, you didn't hear it? We told you guys about it, but <laughs> yeah. that's how I imagined it anyway. It's like S scaling compliance functions, leveraging the technology to create greater scalability and compliance. Uh, I think, you know, it's something that we're 
working on. Uh, hopefully, other people are thinking about this as well. All the security tokens issuers, obviously, this is a big part of what they do. Um, that is a massive opportunity to really get low-cost global distribution for these things. Um, that I think that'll take a while to develop. Yeah, uh, you, got, you got to push the boundaries with uh, the regulators, right? Regulators yeah. aren't aren't thinking like, hey, this Ethereum DeFi thing is really happening. We need to start thinking about how international securities law should be changed. Some entrepreneur has to go out there and push those boundaries into the you know into the gray areas as much as they mm. can. Work with the regulators to raise the awareness and and push those laws kind of forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't see the law changing for this stuff for a long time. It's going to be up to the entrepreneurs to figure out how to leverage the technology to satisfy the law in a more efficient way than a traditional incumbent could, right? That's the opportunity. It's about breaking down regulatory silos with compliance automation. Identity is a big part of that. You need to know who people are and how to deal with them based on some kind of data that you know is true uh, or at least verified by some other party and it's all can be all be checked automatically you know that i think will happen first with security tokens within the u.s whether that can branch out into other jurisdictions it's a question of what are the jurisdictions worth pursuing yeah. mm. um you know hopefully stuff happens in countries where there is more kind of freedom around like the reality is securities laws in the u.s are more stringent than most places uh you know maybe in some developing markets you can deliver these kind of products without you know breaking the law um and not having to worry about really complex compliance functions i think um, i think some of these markets as well will end up actually leapfrogging and they're not going to be like oh okay cool we got it okay what's our version of the compliance it's like no we are we list every single asset that the nasdaq lists in our app it's not compliant but you don't get to vote on these shares it's purely a price oracle feeding in facebook's current stock price and market data and probably a lot of those economies are going to sort of actually benefit more from the way that's been done i think of like a like a lot in the um not third world but like in for instance some economies actually never went to hardlined modems and stuff like that. Yeah. They went directly to that Wi-Fi mm. play. I think there's mm. a potential opportunity yep. like that. That's uh, like I mean, they've got no central credit scoring systems already. Like they've yeah. got so many pieces missing. They yeah. they don't even know where to play ball. They want mm. the upside of what could potentially come more mm. than let's try and regulate this. Regulation feels like it's a case of we've got so much. Let's try and tighten the field. Yeah, I mean, like the. The reason why, you know, the law in the US is so complex is because the total, like the global financial system is based here, right? Um, you know, a lot of countries are working with uh, less infrastructure that they have to kind of, you know, have to, they'd have to pander to fewer incumbents interests um, and, you know, there's less at risk because you're not going to break mm. anything. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think... It's important for people to be realistic. Things take a long time. Um, I'm impressed with like the number of different projects in this particular niche, um, and they're they're all doing, you know, solidly differentiated and interesting work. Uh, there's some overlap, but I think it's all relatively healthy. You know, the space does need competition as well. Um, 
Does so, this yeah. make Oracle's the hottest place to be? I, I think that's, yeah, I think it's... Oracle's are sort of the, the on-ramp and off-ramp of data, if you want to look at it that way relative to like the on-ramp and off-ramp of capital. Interesting, interesting, yeah. Mm, anyway, I mean, it's more relevant for some things than others, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, that's... We, we need some good Oracle solutions. What are, what's the best Oracle solution out there? Louis, what's that one you invested heavily in yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Um, well, yeah, well so. Augur's reputation rep token system is probably by far, if you want to consider that an Oracle system, well, yeah, that's a cool one. But um, I think that what Maker's doing with, what do you call it, Scuttle, but um, yeah. their developments there, you know, they're obviously thoughtful about this kind of thing um and they need to be you know their thought leaders with that uh i'm not really sure kind of what the the ins and outs are of like the different um third parties trying to kind of build a business around oracles Mm. um i feel like oracles develop the best ones will develop in this sort of you're you're propping it up for a little while where there's this trust minimized scenario and Mm -hmm. then it turns into trust so if you're trying to measure like the price of like uh eth to us dollars maybe uh, like in a dex right you're going to measure it somehow but then eventually it's going to be well the eth usdc trading volume on a dex versus what it didn't have before so i think Mm -hmm. all these things develop organically as more and more applications get to market great Maybe what I thought was interesting in 2018 um, was that a lot of the protocols in the DeFi space have kind of productized. Uh, so if you asked me last year, I would have really guessed that uh, many of these protocol layer projects like uh, DYDX is a good example. Dharma is a good, uh, good example, I guess, Compound. Well, not, not exactly Compound, but uh, those two, um, they would have gone the route of uh, doing an ICO or incorporating a token or something in their model uh, and focusing really on their ecosystem, much like the ZeroX model. Uh, however, we're seeing really a rising trend here of protocols building uh, products. So DYDX has launched Expo Trading. Dharma is productizing with Dharma Lever. I think it's scheduled to launch uh, next month or so. Do you guys think that's going to be a continued trend in uh, 2019? Do you th- do you see or anticipate the return of uh, token and token economics yeah. in 2019? How do you think uh, these protocols are going to make money? I think there's a good reason for this occurring, which is basically that everybody kind of entered the space with the same strategy, build the protocol and let others build applications and businesses on top of it. That doesn't work in a bear market when there are no more incremental projects launching, right? Um, so... And I think as well, like the demonstration of like a flagship app or use case as well has to have its own time getting to market and then being able to. So like Republic with Ren.Exchange, DYDX with Zero or uh, Expo. Expo, Expo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, proving out the product, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's reasonable for a team to own the end user experience in the early days. Um, because, you know, it, it at least allows them to kind of have a marriage of UX and protocol in that kind of early development stage. I think that's healthy. Um, I, 
you know, whether it depends how strongly the team's strategies shift away from the kind of ecosystem model. But I think eventually, once these things do start to build up in terms of liquidity, it's going to make more sense to work with an existing protocol uh, and build on top of that rather than launch your own thing. Depends on the protocol. I'd say with 0x, that might not be the case because bridging liquidity there is relatively easy, even if you're not on the protocol. Um, but for some of the lending-based uh, protocols, when they start to get more liquid, it'll make a lot more sense to work with them as another front end for that system rather than trying to start from scratch. As well as when you're building your own front end, if you've got a certain set of expectations of what you want to see out of the protocol and the community then by building the first one you can create a sort of a, like a, a first sample of like open source tools or mm. suites for people to follow and fork off that so yeah. that they're starting with that standard that you've put forward um but i mean out of all these protocols i think you talked about productized stuff i think a lot will go that route and probably meet be met with marginal success mm. um and then it's go, like we've talked about this internally a bunch but the idea that a lot of these protocols are basically they're just going to get it wrong, which is fine because everyone should get it wrong at some point, but they're going to end up just reapplying their stuff onto a different protocol. It's got a fat amount of cash paying them to be there. Mm -hmm. We're already sort mm -hmm. of seeing that with like some stable coins going between like Hashgraph and uh, EOS or exchanges that are going to be built on EOS as well. It's pay to play and people will do whatever it takes to survive, I think until the next bull run. Yeah, uh, definitely good insight there. Um, what do you guys think about uh, the compound model, how they've basically baked in this spread uh, to drive economic profit to the protocol itself, which I guess is going to uh, drive future development, paying devs, things like that. Eventually it'll become a DAO. Uh, do you think that inherent sort of rent-seeking uh, uh. model is, is going to be a trend in 2019. Do they talk about making it a DAO? My understanding is that... In the long run, yes. Right, okay. That's new to me. My understanding is that it's effectively a business. It's not trying to be a protocol, an open protocol. Mm. Uh, if if they've communicated that eventually that's the path they want to go down, um, that's that's fine. Would it be... Did it, was it a DAO? Or just saying the most active, engaged users vote will count for more than... A non yeah that was exactly it um right. I don't, i'm not sure if they did define themselves as a protocol but yeah they did want people to build on top of them it wasn't like this sure is a, yeah yeah um, yeah um like they have a risk of somebody forking the protocol right that can't be denied um fork pound fork pound finance <laughs> yeah. um it would be easy to do um it, there's some liquidity there which you wouldn't get if you forked it uh, but that's not an insurmountable amount at this stage um, you just have to you'd be competing on UX and obviously you'd have a lower fee if you forked out the fee um, so yeah it's a, it's a risk for them but there are things that they can do building their business to insulate themselves from that uh, you know I think uh, not to sort of toot their own horn too much but like if they had a compliance solution in terms of KYC and, uh, you know, proper institutions would be able to able to participate, that would give them a greater edge over an open protocol with the fee forked out. Cool. 
2018, I think. Make it happen, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I asked him about it last time on the on the the last podcast when he was here. Yeah, yeah. And he's sort of like, "Yeah, go fuck yourself." And I was like, "All right, I'll just go fuck myself." <laughs> yeah, like I'll just, just go fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like it's. Just maybe you didn't say go fuck yourself. Maybe you said go, go fork, fork yourself. it yourself. Yes, yeah, I think okay. you might have said ah, it. Yeah, right. That was very witty. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I think it's in their best interest, just future proofing their existence. Yeah, absolutely. In yeah. In 2018, um, Dex liquidity continues to be sparse. A um, mm. couple of days ago. Uh, you said this would be the year of. Sorry to interrupt, Thomas, but yes. you said this would be the year of the Dex, Mike. Yes. And you were wrong. I want you to own that. Uh, I, I mean, I am fantastic at being wrong due to a high frequency of it occurring. Um, but I did say, and now I'm sort of shaking my boots, I think it was that by the end, by December 31st of 2019, that a DEX would have done a billion dollars in 24-hour trade volume. 2019? Yes. Not 2018? No, de- 2018, I said DEXs are going to be humongous. Um, I'm going to find the exact wording while okay. we're talking. Sorry, Thomas. Didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. I just no, no, no. It's flag. okay. Just want to make sure yeah. he sort of expresses that incorrectness. <laughs> don't don't you print all this stuff onto the blockchain, Mike? I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll look it up. Which also says that MakerDAO is going to be the first trillion dollar DAO and in the first $10 trillion organizations on the planet. Wow. You Please. heard it here just first. poisoning MakerDAO's opportunities <laughs> 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 okay, so g- going back to liquidity, DEXs, and forking, um, there's some news that came out uh, earlier, I suppose last week. Uh, Xerox has been forked uh, by the members of DDEX uh, and uh, the Hydro protocol team. Yep. Um, DDEX felt that Xerox has been uh, has neglected their core competency of expanding uh, by expanding into domains outside of just servicing uh, traders. Uh, and into domains like NFTs and security tokens and so on and so forth. So, so uh, DDEX think that that's a distraction? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah okay. And uh, DDEX um, wants, their, wants there to be more inherent protocol level uh, liquidity creation incentives, which they hope yep. to um, create in this new forked version. Uh, uh, you know, I, th- I guess they're just porting over the code into Hydro Protocol. So my understanding of it is that they've re they said actually that they've rewritten a lot of it um the the differences in my understanding is that yeah so they forked out the zrx token mm-hmm. um they have changed they say they've improved basically the matching uh so you can have like proper market orders and things like that and the fewer order collisions um they i think what basically what they're trying to do is create a dex that feels like a centralized exchange right that's their goal and they didn't think that they were going to get there with the Xerox protocol. Um, so they've forked that out. And the other major piece is liquidity. Um, you know, that's been their core focus. I think they're absolutely 110% right for focusing on that. The, the main reason why DEXs are unusable is because there's no liquidity, right? It costs a lot to trade there because there's no liquidity. You know, people might say, oh, the UX is bad because you have to sign, click accept on MetaMask. That's not the reason why people don't use it. It's because you can't trade there because there's no liquidity. So they're going to bake in a universe, a global market-making incentive program. 
Um, which, that's that's not at the protocol uh, level, right? I believe it's just more yeah, ins- not, incentivizing sh- crypto funds just outside of that. I'm not sure if it's baked into the protocol. I don't think we have the full details yet. Yeah. My feeling mm-hmm. is that it might be. Um, there are two elements to it. One is like if you hold on to their token, you get a fee discount. It's kind of like Binance coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, the the other element is basically quanti- it's like quantitatively assessing the amount of orders and liquidity that you're placing in the books and paying you some kind of rebate on that I believe okay. uh, I could be wrong um, but yeah basically they're going to have market making incentives like you know the rest of the financial world yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you think actually just on that what do you do you think like I mean Lou you, pro- you talked about it forever but you put that post out, say, seven months ago almost, or yeah. you wrote it, let's say, seven or eight months ago. Been pretty vocal in their ear. Like, as like we're pretty, we know the team pretty well, had them over here and stuff. You're and talking been, about 0x. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think, like, there's a massive miss in their, in their, do you think that should have been prioritized over, let's say, relay kits and da 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 da? So what are you saying? What should have been prioritized? Liquidity Ooh. as in general. Do you think that would have been the best part? Yeah. Or? So so I understand their disagreement with what I recommended, which is basically having a protocol level market making incentive based on the token. I get that, right? There are downsides to that. And it's probably they could see it as too aggressive or whatever. Um that is like putting that to one side. I, I do think they've neglected the issue of bringing market makers on board, incentivizing third parties to come on and make their relays viable. Um, I don't think zero X as a project makes a whole lot of sense if all they're doing is uh, writing, you know, smart contract code because people will just steal it and fork off, right? And like the ecosystem effect, frankly, is not there. Because now it turns you've into got, charity work. You've if got it's no one, sticky factor. yeah, and you've got one relayer, radar relay running open order books. So when they talk about network liquidity and the benefits of that, really, it's like at this stage, total BS. Because there's one relayer running open order books. There's no network. There's no liquidity sharing. Um, they were thinking about having protocol level liquidity sharing, like. Uh, mechanisms for sharing fee income and stuff like that. Uh, but that hasn't really happened. Um, so yeah, I think they were probably a bit inactive on the market making front. They probably thought, oh, you know, the relays will deal with it. They'll find the people to make markets, etc. Um, they should have been driving. That is the key benefit that they could have provided uh, to the relayers. Um, whether mm-hmm. or not they should have used the token to do that, I mean, the reality is earlier in the year, they had $500 million worth of firepower to spend in the incentivizing incentivizing yep. market makers, right? And because they didn't really do much, not much has happened in the zero X ecosystem, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that $500 million is whatever it is, 150. Um, and they're still just saying, well, we're going to use the token for governance. And I think there are a lot of question marks around you know, what kind of value can accrue to that. Um, and then that brings into the question of like their long-term financial sustainability. You know, uh, Will Warren's tweeted about 
one of the functions of the token is that people can vote on whether to inflate the token to further fund protocol development. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense because if there's no reason to buy it and you're just creating more of it, it's going to go to zero and you're going to be out of a job. <laughs> I think it's just so ironic that they have been focusing on governance um, so much and, you know, arguably relayers, whether they're on the open order book model or the matching model are the largest stakeholders mm. uh, in the governance of zero X. And it doesn't look great that their largest relayer by volume has, yeah. uh, has forked the protocol. To be fair to them, I don't actually think they've been focusing on governance. Uh, they're just, people always ask them what the token's for and they say, well, it's for governance. So it might seem like they're focusing on it. That's I think what the pacifier, what shush. Mike, yeah, Mike kind of, I think, nailed it in the sense that the focus for them has been like building these like tools, right? Like spin up a relayer in 30 seconds or like 0x instant, right? It's like, you know, 0x instant in my mind is a totally useless product. Why would I want <laughs> execution only through 0x open order book relayers, right? It's a, it's a buy this token on radar relay button. That is what 0x instant is, right? Where I can go to- I think it's actually even like to the API level, like it's actually just purely fed off radars. Well, cause they're the only- Yes. Yeah, they're the yeah, only yeah. relay, right? I think I saw so, that in the docs. I mean, let's, let's, just, let's think like, you know, a year ahead and maybe there's three relayers okay, on Okay, so, on so why would I use a, a, a 0x instant widget yeah. instead of a widget that aggregates all DEX liquidity outside of the 0x ecosystem. Kaiba, uh, yeah. you know, Oasis DEX, uh, all these other places that actually have IDEX, right? All these have materially more liquidity than 0x and they're totally excluded from the 0x instant widget. It's a, it's a product for somebody who doesn't understand the composition of the market, right? If I buy anything using that widget instead of a widget that aggregates DEX liquidity outside of the Xerox ecosystem, mm. I'm going to get a worse price uh, and I'm going to have access to fewer assets. And it's generally, you know, I get why they did it, but it, I don't see a point of the product. I think, I think the point of the product was actually more on sustaining the Xerox community participants. So here's a way to make money and feed the protocol at the same time. So if I'm an yeah. unmonetized let's say non-custodial wallet i drop this yeah in. there's one element missing from that equation which is value to the customer right yeah well the customer basically the customer's getting any screwed different. right the customer's getting screwed potentially well yeah. they are oh yeah sorry they're not well i don't know if they're getting screwed but if the customer only knows one place to go <laughs> then that's going to be yeah it's a win it's an ignorance hedge Yes, which is usually well, I not mean, the uh, arbitrage. I yeah, it's say. an yeah. ignorance arbitrage. You're usually not safe on that place. I think if they were to also figure out market making, yeah. then that's, this, the, that's the thing they need to yeah, do. Yeah, 0x instant makes a ton of sense because what it is is like a market taking freaking machine, right? It will, never make, it will never make more sense than a liquidity aggregator that works outside of the 0x ecosystem. By sure. definition, an agnostic but, position. Yeah. But for them yeah. to solve the, their liquidity problems, they not only need market makers, they need market takers. And this mm. smart order routing system that they built over Xerox, known as Xerox Instant, mm. um, is is an easy way for them to distribute their market taking, uh, you know, needs. Really, um, that's like Coinbase or GDAX releasing the, an execution 
system versus someone who's got GDAX, Kraken, OKX, and it sure, bit. sure. It's it's the it's almost like the Stripe model, but for market taking, right? You distribute this zero yeah. X button on ten five hundred whatever number of DApps, and then yeah. if uh, you're a DApp looking for this functionality, use Total. <laughs> <laughs> Any financial disclaimers you want to make there, Louis? <laughs> um, uh, no. Just picked up my bags. <laughs> no, but I think they don't I, have a token. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but I think in general, though, like I think. They were onto it. It's almost like they were onto it and got kind of sidetracked over the, the hype and stuff like that, where they put in the permissioned liquidity into V2. They had a lot of awareness that permissioned liquidity would be something that larger scale people would need. And then it just sort of went in like two attacks to the problem is get liquidity or create more kits where people can create their own liquidity Fuck it. There's a reason why when big exchanges come to the US, they call up all the trading funds and they say, yo, we need 100 Bitcoins either side of the book all day, every day for the next three months. Here's what we're going to pay you to do it. Market makers, they're the people that make it look like a party's there. So yep. make it um, friendly for them. I, I think Xerox will actively work on this in uh, 2019. Undoubtedly, liquidity and market making is going to be a theme for them in, in 2019. Um, it, how they do it, is is what's left to be you know uh unseen that's we don't know how they're going to do it yet i suspect that due to how they you know how they've been kind of tackling the problems for uh, uh bootstrapping relayers and stuff all, all of that's just been releasing more dev tools right mm -hmm. extending out their uh, uh core and api and everything to uh, fit different use cases and enable more relayers to be built on top of them i suspect they're going to do the same thing with market making um, basically create an API for market making on network liquidity, uh, release like trading bots and things like that. I hope, I hope that they go about it with the cold, hard kind of cash and incentives mm -hmm. method, uh, go find these crypto funds, yeah. uh, and, and pay them with Xerox tokens, pay them with us dollars, like whatever they got, uh, to go and bootstrap that liquidity, uh, lend them out, you know, Xerox and in 0% interest, uh, 0x, <laughs> zero 0% zero interest. Yeah. Just working I mean, capital. no one's interested in them, Yeah, but we'll, we'll see how they do. They've it. got it, but there's a, I mean, the reality is they're an expert and they're not experts at market makers or building liquidity networks. They are expert developers and they're expert product people, which I think is why they've thrived so much, but they need to listen to if there is really good advice, um, you know, on the doorstep, People have done it before. There's no surprise. Like markets are being made right now, every day, all day. Yeah. Um, why does IDEX work? Like, why do people use IDEX? Because they have market makers. They have liquidity, right? Mm -hmm. It's people, not fundamentally a better solution, like than Radar Relay, right? No, they're, pretty, just, they're quite similar. It's just one has liquidity, people the other are doesn't. Price related, especially when they're yeah. speculating, it's so price orientated, and mm. slippage is the next form of fees that you're going to pay. Slippage it's, is... It's bigger. Much well, it's, bigger. Oh, it's disgustingly yeah. bigger. Mm. Um, yeah, and just avoiding that. I think that should be a KPI for them yeah. internally. I'll be really interested at that moment where the Zero X team become a lot more aggressive with this stuff. Like what will trigger that? Will it ever happen? Um, yeah. The caveat to that though, I think is Ethernex, Binance, Dex. Yeah. Yeah. All those guys, you've given them a chance to actually see the light and come into the market instead of having to 
join the party or fuck off. Yeah. And now it becomes who's got better execution, who's got better tooling. Probably Bitfinex. My, <laughs> my guess is Bitfinex's arm to the wazoo after being battle tested over the past six years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. Do you think forking of other protocols is going to be a theme in 2019? Uh, like which kind of... There's a lot out just, there. Yeah. Just <laughs> have your pick, man. Yeah. <laughs> Anything um, that looks pretty forkable out there? Fork pound. Look, I think DEXs, um, DEXs are always prone to forking because there's no like capital locked up in the system. Um, Bitcoin forks, I mean, hopefully are at the point where nobody really cares about them anymore. I mean, what a shit show. None of them have delivered anything, right? Let's be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, look, a smart contract, platforms forking um uh i mean like eos getting forked or ethereum yeah i don't see i don't see eos getting forked um i think it already has been forked really who the fuck why would you fork it yeah i don't know yeah because they are the network the 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 thing with yeah forking eos is like you need like the block producers have to do the capex to get it off the ground and whatever. But, yeah, they uh, probably forked it and made it into two block producers yeah. in the twenty-one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I, I'm 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 not too sure. I'd say like, uh, you know, anyone who's ta- reaping excess economics is going to get forked. Um, but I, I'm not seeing too many protocols out there spewing out massive amounts of cash to their proprietors yeah but i i think like thinking of anything where there's network effects so you're not going to see crypto kitties get forked because the animations on the kitties aren't good enough it's going to be who's done a ton of the heavy lifting but fucking it up um obviously network liquidity so i suppose auger would be someone that has potential uh risk in that in that scenario um but I think of, uh, fuck, what was that? Yeah, Compound. If, if these people don't, basically the market that prints all the money for these things is more non, like is less technical. So if you look at like the big finance, like hedge funds and stuff, they want tools like this. And if they can't participate in it, someone is going to fork it and just pour capital in it. So like providing these gateways for permissioned liquidity, otherwise they're just going to get forked out and they've have done charity work for 18 months. And the guys are already at scale, so they can just sort of like pour petrol on it, possibly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, you're really bullish on ENS. Massive. Massive bull. Um, Massive. I actually don't know too much about uh, ENS. I think you've you've gone over it with me. I know some high level. Three times now. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> why, no, do you, why do you think ENS is massive for 2019? Um, I'm going to reserve my actual like full on thesis oh, for ENS. Bullish. Doesn't yeah. even want to say it on the air. Uh, no. Well, look, I mean, I think I've demonstrated to you guys what I think is really powerful with ENS um, from product perspective, uh, which is why you guys are looking for jobs elsewhere because I'm taking the company <laughs> into the ground, uh, or the product at least. But no, look, ENS has a fantastic opportunity for simplifying so much activity on, on the blockchain. Um, People look at it, human readable names, you look at identities and stuff like that. Uh, largely, I think that's all the great copy paste stuff that we've seen with DNS and the internet, but there's just, fuck, like it is, it should, it is the biggest thing, period. 
the only reason why as well, I suppose it's going to be massive. I'll tell you the reason it's going to be massive, whether it's used correctly or not, I don't know. It's going to be massive because ENS came out in 2017, I think. Uh, it's The whole Ethereum ecosystem is largely, you know, everyone's using all these other libraries that other people built. Web3 being a huge foundation of the Ethereum ecosystem, it didn't have ENS baked in. I think now it just recently got baked in, maybe in like uh, July or August or something. So we've seen the MetaMask, Cypher, uh, IAM Token, all the big hitters starting to play ball with it. Um, and now as developers start coming to the ecosystem and that's out of the box part of it, I think you're gonna see that uh, shit get crazy really quickly if there's any more developers coming in in this winter. It's awfully cold here. <laughs> Feel free to not come in until it heats up a bit. Um, Lightning has been kind of successful in 2018. Um, do you anticipate the Lightning Network to continue growing in 2019? Do you have any other predictions for uh, development on Bitcoin? Yes, uh, I think Bitcoin is going to keep chugging along, a lot of development work being done. Um, I think a Bitcoin, a bridge between Bitcoin and Ethereum is going to take place. I think wrapped Bitcoin is not going to be it. I think a different implementation. Um, I think Lightning will get to, oh, what's it at now? Uh, I don't know what the capacity is, but I would say uh, Lightning gets to yeah, 100,000 nodes. Uh, sorry, 100,000 channels. I'm just trying to read this. Yeah, it's 2,000 nodes now, I'd say, yeah. uh, and 12,000 channels. It'll 10x at least next mm. year, if not more. And on the uh, the usability UX front for Lightning, um, obviously some big strides there. Um, what, what do you think can be... I don't know sort of how closely you're looking at it, but mm. um, like, are there any sort of significant hurdles that you see being leaped in the near term? Yep. You'll have fiat to Lightning. You'll probably have a major player integrate Lightning as the backbone of their payments ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Lightning, it's got the ability to do transactions like Visa scales sort of shit. Uh, I don't know the specifics, but look, a bunch um, relevant enough to anyone who wants to touch it. Uh, yeah, you'll probably see Square start launching some sort of pilot of a Lightning implementation where Square merchants are. That would be sick. That would be good. Dorsey, get at it. Stark, get there too. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Um, but yeah, no, you'll see some practical implementations of it. Right yeah. now, it was, I mean, just literally, uh, I got my Casa nodes recently. And I remember in December last year when we started running Lightning nodes on mainnet here, like, uh, it was DigitalOcean, Terminal, blah, blah, blah. There was no resources or barely mm. any anywhere. Um, but now it's like out of the box, plug it in, get going. You've got browser extensions. Mm. People are just going to keep building. Lightning is, I would say, arguably um, uh, probably one of the biggest things that just people keep sleeping on. People think it's just Bitcoin, but faster. I think that's going to be the mothership. Um, it's going to be massive. Just never stop shilling. That's Mike's secret. Imagine make it out, but <laughs> die is the lightning network and BTC is the Ethereum. Now my head hurts. Yeah. Well, you got all the side chains, solidity compatible. You got RSK. Guys, imagine okay. that. La last question and then we're going to wrap things up. Um, who do you guys think will thrive in this crypto winter? Who will survive? Who will kind of go out of business? 
you don't have to say names. Well, you can if you'd like. I know Louis is aching to <laughs> drop some names here. Uh, uh, generally, Mike, you I'm, can go first. Uh, no, I'm literally just typed crypto companies into Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, no, Louis, go. You've got your hit. Louis's got this hate list that I he mean, just look, keeps in his pocket at we've, all we've, times. We've already uh, shilled MakerDAO enough that them going to... Look, they're, the, the people that will thrive first and foremost are the ones that have a combination of a lot of capital plus a sustainable model and like a product that makes sense, obviously. Um, so I think uh, MakerDAO will do really well um, you know, I, I think EOS is going to continue to make strides in terms of, you know, some consumer applications coming online, generating, you know, small, but relative to like crypto land, meaningful adoption. Um, and they'll obviously be able to dangle their checkbook in front of a whole lot of undercapitalized projects and say, you know, do what you're doing in Ethereum, but you know, over here. Um, so I think I think they'll pick up some some good uh, traction. You know, both in terms of developers and end users. Um, you know, whether it be from gaming and gambling, uh, things like that. I don't think it's going to be any hardcore financial applications that lack what exist on Ethereum. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, you know, we really haven't seen like a standout winner in the Dex space yet. Um, I can't name who is going to be that winner, but I feel like one will leap ahead of the rest this year. Um, the clear outlier. That yeah. Did, right. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it is still IDEX's game to lose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously they're the market leader at the moment. What Mike brought up about centralized exchanges coming into the space with their kind of hybrid or more Dexy offering I think is a material threat, though, you know, it's always going to be a different kind of solution when they're doing it. Um, yeah, I think uh, there'll be consolidation with exchanges, um, both as companies like Coinbase list more assets, it makes the kind of random shitcoin exchange less relevant because Coinbase is going to be trading all the shitcoins, hooray. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who else is going to do well? Who's going to uh, do poorly? I think, oh, right. I think Trust Token's got a thousand knives pointing in their direction. Um, like, they've got Circle, yep. bigger balance sheet, bigger network, Coinbase, bigger balance sheet, bigger network, more accessibility. Yep. Uh, that seems pretty tough spot. And I think they're, they're a really bright bunch of guys. We've had a chance to speak with them and you know work on sort of things. I think there's a play for them to win. Yeah, as the independent in the market, I think that is a a non-trivial differentiator, especially when it comes to other exchanges trading USDC or uh, you know Gemini or whatever. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's yeah, a lot I of competition there. Tons of competition. I think there's going to be a you know a bunch of uh, security token protocol things that consolidate, if not go out of business. Mm. Um, People that will win, I think. Uh, I think Make It Out uh, is in a very good spot to win, but they should. You know, it's a very long race. They've just got to yeah. be as methodical as they've been in the past. Um, Orga has a chance to come to fruition a bit more, especially in uh, international markets that are more gambling or gaming friendly with predictions and stuff like that. Um, 
Shit. What else we got? Who who's toast? Look, the deck space has to consolidate massively, right? Um, yep. I'm not gonna name names, but like, it's a simple fact that a whole bunch of dex protocols and probably relays mm. will disappear. Um, I think the the oh. dexes that kind of hone an edge will probably be ones that uh, you know satisfy some kind of niche, like they're sufficiently regulated, they can trade security tokens and bring in professional market makers because they have mm. a compliant platform. I think that's probably a space that I'd want to be occupying as a DEX. Yep. Uh, the Wild West space in DEX land is just like... A, the, 5% of the volume would be nobody, like, Nobody yeah. has any market share there. You know, IDEX is going to do KYC and stuff. Um, so, you know, they're kind of moving away from that market. Um, anybody can create a decentralized exchange with no compliance, mm. right? It's like, it takes nothing to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, d I don't really see, th there'll just be consolidation there. Um, I think Gods Unchained will be wildly successful. That's one thing. Yeah. Uh, and the collectibles theme in general, yeah. that will be hugely successful, whether that's CryptoKitties, whether it's Gods, all that stuff, that is going to start laying the like the foundations for people to see uh, a path to everyone in the world touching crypto to some extent that's yep. probably the first lens into it um i think as well coinbase wallet uh i think coinbase wallet is going to be probably the superstar of the year almost potentially um i think given their brand that they've polished they polished it up from toshi Coinbase is, you know, fantastic team, really good execution. I think Coinbase Wallet is actually probably going to become more of the Coinbase brand than Coinbase.com is this year. Um, yeah, I think uh, another general kind of theme will just be like the, the massive supply glut of new smart contracts platforms launching. Um, you know, it's probably like 15 so-called Ethereum killers that are all going to launch in 2019, right? You know, some with questionable differentiation and technology, some that are better cap uh, capitalized and maybe have better technology. But the reality is the incremental interest into the space has been reduced from the bear market. Suddenly 15 new platforms coming online, you know, they're all going to be competing for the same interest. Which has uh, yeah. diminished. I mean, you've got like, think about it, it's like Tezos, Hashgraph, Definity, Definity Cardano. Iota? No, no, that's oh, not yeah. smart contracts. Um, it's trash, yeah. Uh, but like there, there are loads of them, right? Um, yeah. It's like spending too long getting ready to go to a party and you get there. 80% of the people are left. The last 20% there are drunk. They're not looking at you correctly. And you're like, what the fuck? My suit looks great. And you're sober as hell. Yep. <laughs> Solid night out. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, I'll tell you who will be surviving and who will be thriving. It is Wire. Uh, we're actually, I'm going to shamelessly plug here. Uh, we are actually hiring a lot of positions uh, as of really this week and definitely in 2019. So look out. We're looking for an integrations engineer. That's uh, top of mind looking for a product manager, kind of VP level, director level, an algo trader to help uh, me and Louie execute on some market making and um, kind of more profitable risk-taking strategies, uh, community growth lead to help uh, me and Josh uh, with uh, community outreach efforts and more like, even if you want to get involved in the podcast, if you want to host, uh, things like that. 
uh, we're always hiring engineers and uh, customer experience, customer success people. So we'll we'll see a few postings for that as well. Um, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, well, thanks so much for Mike and Louie for uh, for participating in this podcast and sharing your insight. Thanks for having me. Pleasure as always. And uh, more importantly, I'd like to thank our listeners. The listenership has been growing much more than we anticipate. And uh, we received some tremendous feedback, whether it's uh, positive or negative. Uh, we're here to listen. Uh, if you want to share any additional feedback, please be sure to email. You can reach out directly to me. It's thomas at sendwire.com, T-H-O-M-A-S at sendwire.com. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter as well. It's at Tom Scaria, T-O-M-S-C-A-R-I-A. Uh, any additional feedback, guests you'd like to see, um, I'm, I'm here to listen. Um, for our listeners, uh, remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes. If you have any other questions or comments, we're widely available as a firm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or the Wire blog. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Happy holidays.